We are in the network age. The greatest assets that we have are our relationships. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. For those of you that didn't get the opportunity to hear my first conversation with Michelle Tillis Litterman, I encourage you to do so. Today's podcast picks up where we left off, but is a bit more focused on her newest book, The Connector's Advantage. Seven Mindsets to Grow Your Influence and Impact. Between her high energy, deep insights, and numerous memorable quotes, Michelle never ceases to impress. During our conversation, you will learn about the importance of why connecting matters, how being connected shows up in all facets of your life, how technology can be best utilized to connect, and the difference between what it means to network and connect. Both her book and our podcast are for everyone. Let me now bring you to my conversation with my friend, Michelle Tillis Letterman, so you can learn why connectors get things done faster, easier, and better. Enjoy. Welcome back. (laughs) Round two, we got some more time. That was great. Remember last time we were were under the gun? And last time there was a different title for the book. That's right. Yeah. For those who... Missed. I hope they didn't, but might have missed our first episode. Go back and listen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it actually, was really. It was actually one of the better received podcasts. Well, so the one, yeah, that was one of the podcasts where I received the most feedback about what it did for them, as opposed to just maybe just pure enjoy. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that, great. <laughs> that does my art good. Yeah. No, it should. But tell everybody if you could about your first book, and then we'll kind of transition into your other book. Well, the first book was called The Eleven Laws of Likeability, and the one that's coming out right about now is called The Connector's Advantage, Seven Mindsets to Grow Your Influence and Impact. And it's actually a follow-up to The 11 Laws of Likeability. And when we met last time, I was calling it The Connector's Club. I love alliteration, so I was just really married to that name. And then somebody said it made it feel exclusive. Hmm. And really, what I'm trying to communicate to people is that anyone and everyone is a connector, and is already embodying some of the mindsets and some of the behaviors of connectors. And that with this book, (laughs) anybody can infuse those mindsets and behaviors into their interactions and reap the rewards and reap the connector's advantage. Because that's what it is. There's an advantage to being relationship-based, which you know very well. (laughs) So tell me about the seven different types that you identified. The book is structured into three sections. The first section is kind of like the proof of concept. Why does connecting matter? What is it? And I explain the spectrum of connector. It's not non-connectors, you know, connector, super connector. There's actually seven levels and we can kind of go through what those levels are. And then the seven mindsets. Let's see if I can get them in order. Connectors are open and accepting. They have a clear vision. They believe in abundance. They trust. They are social and curious. Connectors are conscientious and they have a generous spirit. That's a great definition. And it really is because I've been asked that, but I'm going to have to watch this and practice because that's, I think that's an excellent way to describe them. What made you dig into this topic? I actually want to address the whole great way to describe them because I did an interview recently and they're like conscientious, really? <laughs> really? And it was interesting that they were like, well, that's not the first thing I would think of when I think of a connector. Hmm. And so it's- Can I interject for that one thing? I mean, that's one of the first things that I think about. Tell me why. Because a lot more often than not, you're bridging, if not at least two parties, and that takes a lot of thought. That's being conscientious. That's being thoughtful. Yeah. And I think that what you're describing also is a little bit towards the clear vision. Connectors know what they want, what they're working on, and they know and are willing to ask for help to get there. The conscientious for me is a little bit about doing what you say you're going to do. It's the follow-up and the follow-through. And Fortunes in the follow-through. Yeah. <laughs> what happens with these mindsets is that they enable each other, right? So conscientious enables trust and trust enables a generous spirit and being social and curious. Like they just all really play off of each other. Wow. I love what we were, we just did. And and I jumped the gun. If you don't mind rewinding a little bit and give us the foundation of the book 
And then I'm going to interject a little more. The basis of the book and the foundation is really about why connecting matters and what is the advantage. So the connector's advantage is simply this. Connectors get things done, get results, get what they want, faster, easier, better. So true. Don't worry about the grammar. It just is more fun to say faster, easier, better. And if you think about it, and if you all think about it out there, think about something that you accomplished and then think about who you have to thank along the way for getting you there. There's not a thing that I've accomplished in my life. There are not a list of people along the way that helped me get there. And even in the bad times, like something bad happens and getting out of that bad situation faster, easier, or better. 100%. I completely agree with that. So many things. And what good is something anyway if you can't share it with anyone? So let me ask you this. When you were writing this, who was the audience that you were writing this for? The publisher always asks you, who's your target audience? And my feeling is like, everybody. (laughs) They hate that answer. But the truth is that this is universally applicable. Back in the agricultural age, land was our greatest asset. In the industrial age, it was machine. In the information age, it was technology. We are in the network age. The greatest assets that we have are our relationships. Mm -hmm. And the most value organizations have is in their people. And so if we don't start to put a value and an emphasis on those relationships and understand how they link right to our happiness, our productivity, our health, our bottom line, Mm -hmm. right? All of those things come from the relationships. 100%. So how do you think that how important with AI coming down the pike and the future of work, what is your opinion on relationships now? (laughs) Well, I'm laughing because I got an email recently that we were on this chain with an AI assistant. And the AI assistant was part of the? Yes. So she was part of the email chain because she was supposed to be kind of parsing all of the emails around what people could do in terms of scheduling. And somebody was responding from a different email address rather than the one that she included. And so he was like, I broke, uh, and the, the AI's name was Jamie. I broke Jamie. <laughs> That's great. (laughs) Because she couldn't understand it. And so I think that there's a very specific way you need to communicate with AI Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that it can be helpful for efficiency, but sometimes it creates inefficiencies. Yeah. Yeah. And then it actually creates more work than getting on the phone for two minutes and saying, okay, what works for people? Let's talk about the phone for a second. The lost art of the phone. (laughs) Have you noticed Has your phone bill dropped? significantly over the years? Or maybe not you because you're on the phone. I'm always on the phone. And and long distance doesn't cost anything anymore. But one of the keynotes I do is called The Lost Art of Conversation in the Digital Age. And it is because I'm raising teenager, teenagers right now, and they don't ever call their friends. They don't talk on the phone. That's just... So you've got two boys. I have two boys. How old are they right now? 11 and 13. Okay. So I was at a conference a couple months ago and a guy spoke and he said kids under the age of 15, but I'm pretty sure it was boys under the age of 15. What would you, as the mother of two boys, what would you say is the number one form of communication amongst boys under 15? Because I'm going to make it boys. Text. Nope. Xbox. And yeah, no, that's their number one form. Did your kids play? I don't allow the the online. Oh, you don't? Okay. uh, Yeah. Okay. But they are a very small minority. They're outliers. Yeah. The majority, I bet if you ask their friends, that's how they're communicating. That's interesting. Yeah. And then this is a little- I'm a strict mom. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. Hopefully they do well from this, but it's amazing. And again, this is a little off target, but I'll tell you something that I think is actually really interesting. There was a shooting at the Pavonia Mall or the Newport Mall here in Jersey City uh, a couple months ago. And a gentleman that I play basketball with, I know he lives right around the corner from there. I said, oh, hey, did you hear about this? He said, yeah. I said, your kids, do they know anything about it? Short story is his kids were there. His kids were in the food court when this happened. And he had had to ask them if they'd heard about it. And it turned out they were there. So there were people that were shot, went to ICU, the whole thing. Mm-mm. No, no, but check this out. <laughs> it wasn't traumatic to them. They were desensitized because of all the video games that they play. So they wasn't even like topic of conversation. He had to ask them. So anyways, we totally sidetracked. That's a totally other conversation. Let's get back to your book. Let's get back to the importance of connectivity and people learning how to connect with other people in this day and age. And let's just wrap up that face-to-face conversation piece. Because I think for those people out there listening who might have kids or are thinking about kids in the future, ensuring that my son knows to go up to somebody and shake a hand look them in the eye and smile and say nice to meet you 
And that's something we've been practicing since they're five or six years old mm. so that they know certain etiquette because it is just not part of their norm. So I had this same conversation with somebody, a pretty senior person in an HR department, and their rebuttal to me, and, it's, and they had to kind of come to this other grips. They said, Adam, you need to adjust because this is the way that they are growing up. Mm -hmm. ghosting. Are you familiar with that mm -hmm. terminology? Like that's becoming a norm, yeah. which blows my mind. But what do you say to that argument? So here's what I would say. I actually have a whole chapter in the last section of the book. I talk about expanding and diversifying your connections and becoming an inclusive connector. And I spent a whole chapter on technology. I think it is a critical and valuable part of the connection portfolio, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we want to stay all in one. It's not realistic to always be here. Yeah. And it's not realistic to always be here. So the idea is that you want to diversify the way in which you connect as well as who you connect with. So I have a huge LinkedIn. LinkedIn to me, I love connecting on LinkedIn. That's my platform. I'll do a little bit on Facebook and I'm, I'm now on Insta so I can uh -huh. check out my kids. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> but are you on their Finsta though? I don't think they have Finsta yet, but that's a really good question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I think what we want to think about is not being afraid of the new, but not getting rid of the old and to diversify. So I say, think about pushing up the proximity. So here's what I mean by that. The most proximate form of communication is what we're doing right now, face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. The second most proximate would be FaceTime, Skype, Zoom, video conferencing, because you still have the visual. Sure. And as you come down, you've got phone where you still have the sound of the voice. Mm -hmm. Then you've got text or instant messaging because of the immediacy of it. Mm -hmm. And the least most proximate is email. And I would say messaging on LinkedIn or direct messaging on Twitter, those are all kind of in that least proximate. So if you're used to doing that, step it up a little bit. If yeah. you are somebody who's texting all the time, make a phone call once in a while. Get out of that comfort zone. <laughs> yeah, just look for that other point of proximity to enhance and strengthen the relationship. And that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Why do you think most people don't network or connect with other people? That's a really interesting question. And when you say network or connect, I actually don't think of those two things as synonyms. Good. Good, <laughs> good, good. good. All, right. Like, uh, all right, keep going. My brother-in-law walked yeah. into my office when I told him about the book and he goes, the connector's advantage. So what's the difference between networking and connecting? He asked that. He asked me that question. Okay, it's a good so question. I attribute yeah. him with the last line of the book because when I answered his question, I was like, oh, that's it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I said to him, networking is something that you do. I go out and I'm going to a networking event and I'm going to network. Connecting, a connector, that's someone you are. And so what I'm talking about here is embodying the mindset, the philosophy, the approach to people of a connector. Well, give me some mindsets. Talk to me about the different types of mindsets and how someone gets into these mindsets. And I'll stop there because I got more questions. But so one of the things I try to do within the book is I create mindset missions. So it's not just the theory, but how do I start to bring this into my own way of thinking? So the first mindset is open and accepting. And for those who read The 11 Laws of Likeability, it might sound like, well, that's the law of authenticity. Yes and no. Authenticity and being open and accepting, there is definitely some correlation there. But when I talk about being open and accepting, I'm talking about not just being open and accepting of others, but open and accepting of yourself mm. and to increase that self-awareness and to accept your unique charms. Do you know what a unique charm is? No, explain. <laughs> a unique charm is a quality about ourselves that is just core to who we are. It's just part of us. But it's also quality that doesn't always work for us, can sometimes maybe get us in trouble, but we don't want to change it, no. right? We're not trying to change ourselves. And so for me, one of my unique charms is that I can be just a little bit talkative, maybe just a little bit loud, just a little bit loud and a little bit too much. And I'm never going to be the quiet girl and I'm not trying to be the quiet girl. I'm okay being out there, but it doesn't mean I can't flex or adapt and understand that I need to pick up on the cues of somebody else to recognize when it's not working for me and it needs a little toning. <laughs> yeah. You've got to be familiar with Adam Grant, right? Yes. So he was on a good podcast where he talked about self-awareness and how important it was and how you might think what you might think are things about you. Most people aren't as perceptive or in tune with or self-aware with mm -hmm. who they really are. And it was really interesting what he did to learn about himself and now what he teaches other people how to do. So I'm a big fan of the self-awareness and incorporating that. So, okay, yeah. so that's one. Well, one of the things I talk about is the Jahari window. 
Oh, I don't know that. Okay, so the Jahari window is a model way back when where it talks about what you know about yourself and what you don't know about yourself. If you think about it as a grid, and then what other people know about you, what other people don't know about you. So if you kind of match up the X, Y axis, if you want to think of it that way, hmm. what I know about myself and what everyone else knows about me is where I'm open, where I'm out there, I'm open. And this is the quadrant you want to expand. This is the quadrant of self-awareness, of self-acceptance, of self-disclosure, right? Yeah. You're out there. If it's something that you know about yourself, but the rest of the world does not know about you, so we're actually down here, yep. this is your hidden. This is kind of where you're being protective, where you're not willing to share of yourself. And if you want to decrease your hidden quadrant, you do that through self-disclosure. You do that through sharing. You do that through trust. You do that through opening up. The quadrant where people know something about you that you don't know about yourself, uh. <laughs> that's your blind spot. And the blind spot, and Adam Graham probably spoke about this, this is where feedback comes in. Yeah. This is where asking for input. And there's an activity that I did in my first book called Your Three Words which I still give away. We'll put all the links up later to yeah. get that exercise. But understanding how people do perceive you and why do they perceive you that way so that you can bridge that gap between how you see yourself, how you want to be seen by others, and how they actually see you. Right. So your blind quadrant, we want to minimize as well. Yes. And then if you don't know and they don't know, that's just the unknown. <laughs> yeah. And so that comes through exploration. Johari window. J-O-H-A-R-I. Johari window. And it's in the book. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. All right. So keep going. Let's hear about more of these. So the second one we talk about is having a clear vision. And again, this is one that sometimes people have challenged me on of why do you have to have a clear vision to be a connector? Can you specify when you say clear vision, clear vision of what? Of the relationship that a you're going to A clear vision of what you are working on. Oh, it could be anything. Right. So I have a clear vision of my goals, my future, what I'm working on, what's important to me. Okay. So it's not necessarily a clear vision of how this relationship is. Gotcha. Open, right? Okay. It's a clear vision of here is where my head is. Like my clear vision is flying off the shelves. I know what I'm working on is the launch of this book and getting this key message out there to help everyone shift to a relationship-based mindset, a relationship-driven business approach to prioritize relationships at work and home everywhere. That's very clearly my vision. And this is your huh. vessel to get this out. This is one of the vessels, yes. right? I talk, I train, we, we do a lot of things. But I know right now what I'm working on. So having a clear vision is part of it. But the other part of it is knowing how to ask for help. So it's knowing what you want and knowing how to ask for it. Because a connector makes things happen faster, easier, and often with a better result. If you are not out there communicating and sharing what it is you're working on, you don't give anyone else the chance to be helpful to you. Mm, selfish. <laughs> it In can its be. In a weird way. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely, if it's all about what can I do for you and no one's saying, well, well, you know what? I want to get back to you. I'd like to feel valuable to you because that would make me feel good. That was an interesting epiphany that I had where a close friend that, actually two close friends that got very upset with me because I wasn't giving, they said, well, what can we do for you? I'm like, nothing. You don't even think about that. And they said, well, we're done. You're done until you can find <laughs> something. But it's true. They really, it was a really good point that that's, I mean, it's great to want to give, but you do need to be able to receive. Yeah. And you have to think of it this way is you're giving them the opportunity to feel good too. Because yeah. it feels great yeah. to give, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It feels like I'm important. I'm valuable. I'm helpful. I made a difference. I made somebody happy. It's not altruism. It feels real good to do those things. Mm -hmm. So why don't more people do it? There is a fear of rejection. There is a lack of awareness around what they think might be helpful, or maybe they don't think they have anything to offer. There's a lot of things that hold us back. And actually, one of the things I do ask about in audiences is why don't you follow up? Mm. Now, it's a little bit different than giving. What do you think the percentage is of people that meet at events and don't follow up. Do you have the real statistic? Yes. Oh, yes. Cool. Yeah. The people that meet and don't follow up? Correct. I actually think when I read the number, I think it's actually higher. I think it was a Gallup survey or maybe it was LinkedIn. I forgot where. I do have the source. But yeah, what would you think the don't number is? Don't follow up? I would say it's over 50%. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. over. Yeah. I don't really want to go into the 80s, but that's where my head first went. So my head was 80s, 90s. It's 70 Okay. I think that's generous. I'm surprised. I think less people follow up than 30%. I think it's also how we define follow-up. That's true too. Yeah. Right. That's a good point. That's <laughs> where it is. But so I'm sorry to cut you off, but yeah, follow-up. Why aren't people following up? 
So they give lots of reasons and I give reasons too. I don't have enough time in the day. If you saw my desk at home, I had like a graveyard of business cards that could like, and I do, I call it the graveyard because if I didn't write something on the business card when somebody hands it to me mm-hmm. and I don't know what the follow-up is, if I'm doing a book signing, there's a pile of cards there. So I ask people, I'm like, whatever we chatted about, please just write something on the back of the card so that I know what the follow-up is. And so sometimes I do rely on the other person to follow up with me and I will always respond mm-hmm. unless they're proposing marriage, which I've gotten a couple of those. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. <That's> great. <laughs> and then it's like unconnect. Yeah. <laughs> but if they are legitimately trying to connect with me, they will get a response from me. Yeah. So what are people saying? What is the reason? So you've got okay. to... So, so they don't have <clears throat> enough time. They lost the business card. They don't have a reason to reach out. They don't think the other person's interested. I don't see any potential in the relationship. I don't want to bother them. I don't want to seem pushy. They'll think I'm selling them something. They'll think I want something. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it runs the gamut. It runs the gamut. I'm afraid of rejection. <clears throat> How much of that do you accept? All of it. I accept all of the fear around. Oh, the fear, okay. Yeah, I accept that those are realistic and reasonable things to feel. I also think that there's very easy ways to minimize those excuses. I don't think those excuses ever go away. You're not going to create more time in your life. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I didn't feel that one. That's okay. Mm-hmm. I actually tell people you don't have to follow up with everybody. I give you permission. Because if you feel like you have to do it with everything, then you have this big pile of cards and you're like, Right. So, let me ask you this. Wait, let me finish this thought. Okay. Because if I'm pushing away all these cards, I'm not following with anybody. But if I say instead, let me go through this pile of cards and pick the five I really want to follow up with, you're more likely to do it. So maybe I'm defining follow up. Well, I might not. Well, I'm first not going to get someone's card if I don't plan on following up. You're in a different situation if you're doing a book signing. People are just throwing their cards. But sometimes down, but... you do because you don't want to insult somebody. Yeah. Even if you didn't ask for the cards, I've had people just hand me cards, and I say and thank take, you. Yeah, of okay. course, I'm not going to not take it. I think we need to stay open to the possibility and stay open to the connection. And sometimes you might not recognize in a short moment at first conversation, the potential. And so there's been many times where I didn't know what we'd talk about, but if somebody wanted to connect, I would get on a phone or I would have an email exchange or I'd connect them on LinkedIn and we'd do a little bit of a back and forth and sometimes it dies and sometimes it grows. But that's the idea of staying open, right? Mm-hmm. Back on the first mindset, open, open to the possibility that this connection could be more than I think it is at first moment. Okay. Okay. Next mindset. Okay. So we kind of talked about open and accepting. We talked a little bit about having a clear vision and knowing what you want, knowing how to ask for it. I'm not going to go into all the different ways that we can make an ask, mm-hmm. but I do talk about ways to make asking easier because that's really hard. Um, how about you give us one? My favorite is the opt out. Okay. The opt out ask basically gives you the reason to say no to me. And it makes it as easy for you to say no as it is to say yes. And that's important because nobody feels good about saying no. Mm-hmm. So if I have to say no to you, I'm like, I don't want to go near him. I feel that. Right. <laughs> and now I'm avoiding you. Yeah. And now I'm putting the relationship at risk. But if you make it completely okay that I said no, then it's like, oh, thanks. And we can still hang. And I might get a yes from you down the road. Yes. So the opt-out ask is giving them the excuse. If you have the time, if your company allows it, you give them the yeah. reason to say no. That's great. And they do appreciate that. There's no question about that. Yeah. Okay. We're going to get through all of them? Yeah, we're going to try. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Abundance. This Mm. is the one that people really are connecting with. Probably because it's one of the hardest ones out there. Coming from a place of abundance is not easy, especially for somebody like me who did not grow up with abundance in any way, shape, or form. Financial security was not something I grew up with. I was never hungry, but there were times where I wasn't sure if I was going to have a house to live in. So, so how do you switch that? That's a tough place to a, switch. It's a tough place. Yeah. Again, my mother was extremely resourceful mm-hmm. and she always figured out a way to get us what we needed. And I don't feel like I, I was really a without, but I was a have not, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause if you think about the communities that you're in, there are people who have more and there's people who have less. Yeah. And I was, I was one of people who had less, but there's still plenty of people I had way more than. Yeah. You were an accountant, right? I was. Did that? Is that? Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. So for those sorry, of you who but, don't yeah. know what's going on right now. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah. And I talk about this a lot. We make decisions about our future, our careers based on sometimes an anecdote for our past. We make decisions from that place of scarcity, yeah. right? And that's kind of what we're talking about. And I wanted financial security <laughs> because it was something I never had. And I went into accounting. I chose because of the lifestyle and I chose because of the skills that I had. I, I'm somewhat photographic for numbers. I've been told I'm really analytical. I just made sense to me. Accounting just came easy. And so that's what I did. 
I ignored all those people who said, he doesn't seem like a typical accountant. I was like, ah, I'm going to break the mold. No, the, the mold broke me. Um, <laughs> I did not last. But, Sorry, I had, to, I, I had a feeling that that's, I didn't know. But who. it's exactly that, <clears throat> is that that decision was from a place of scarcity. And it wasn't a good decision for me in the long run. I don't regret it. I learned a lot and it gave me the foundation for starting the business that I eventually started. And so I kind of think about whatever decisions we make as part of the journey and to take what you can from that experience and use it in the next one. So when I started my transition out of finance, I taught finance and accounting. (laughs) So I wanted to be in this adult education training life and being a real teacher not that I wasn't a real teacher, but being a real teacher, like in the public school systems, one, it's tough, but two, it was not the financial lifestyle that I could manage. And so I found this new ideal and that's what abundance is. It's designing an ideal. It's believing that just because it didn't exist before, doesn't mean it won't exist in the future. I wanted to be a teacher when I was in sixth grade, but because of financial scarcity, (laughs) I wasn't willing to have the paycheck of a teacher. I was like, I can't even though that's where my heart always was. It's good it's come full circle for you. Yeah. Now you're on a teacher on a much bigger stage. <laughs> yeah. I am in my heart, in my core. I'm a teacher. And I wasn't teaching in the way that I originally visioned teaching, mm-hmm. but that's what abundance is. It's creating the way to bring in the things that are important to you. So coming from a place of abundance is not pretending that the scarcity isn't real. Acknowledge the fear. Don't judge yourself in relation to other people and don't assume just because it isn't now, it won't be then. But where does the light switch go on? How can you get others to see instead of go from that scarcity to abundance? Is it a switch or is there a gradual? It's definitely not a switch. Yeah. I think it is a gradual progression and it's taking each instance and trying to shift your thinking. And so in a way, scarcity is a form of anxiety. Mm. And I'm learning a lot about anxiety these days and there's anticipatory anxiety, the fear of what's coming. And then there's things that we do in those moments. We have safety behaviors, protective behaviors. And think about what it is that you're doing in those moments where you feel the fear. And how do you shift your thinking in those moments? So Jordan Harbinger, who actually was a great contributor to this section of the book, he's an amazing podcaster. He gets 4 million downloads, like amazing. And he said in the beginning, he felt like, oh, what if I give him this guest and then he interviews him and then my show's not, right? That's scarcity, Mm. that fear. And instead, what he thought about was, I'm not going to worry about if somebody else has the same guest. I'm just going to really focus on making myself a great interviewer and knowing that I'm bringing value. And that's where we came up with, don't judge yourself in relation to other people. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Next one. All right. So we talk about abundance. The next one is trust. Abundance enables a lot. Abundance enables trust, right? I always say, don't think of anybody as a competitor, right? We could have been like, well, you're network-wise and I'm relationship networking. <laughs> no. Yeah, not at all. And instead, we think of it as, oh, a potential collaboration partner. 100%. What can we do together? We're of the same mindset. Yay! And that's coming from a place of abundance and enabling us to trust in sharing information and in doing things together. They also enable the generous spirit. Everything enables that generous spirit. So when we think about trust, I talk about the four pillars of trust, and I'm not going to go deep into all of them. High level for those who aren't familiar. High level. A few points that I want to make on trust. One, trust yourself. Two, you have to give trust to receive trust. Mm-hmm. And then three, think about the four pillars of trust. Authenticity, vulnerability, transparency, and consistency. Consistency is the consistency. tough one. Consistency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because really, if you do something once and you don't do it the second time, that actually can erode trust. Mm -hmm. Consistency is probably the easiest way to erode trust. 100%. Completely agree. We'll rejoin our conversation in just a moment. If you're enjoying this podcast as well as our other episodes, please support us using Patreon. Just visit patreon.com slash networkwise. All patrons will receive early access to podcasts and exclusive networking advice. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash networkwise. Thanks for listening. And now let's rejoin the show. All right. So once we have trust, I kind of say trust and conscientious go hand in hand. But if I'm going actually in order of the book, the next thing we talk about is being social and curious. And I'm always really careful to say social does not mean social butterfly. It does not mean life at the party. This is social. We're having a conversation. That's all it is. Think of social 
and curious is hand in hand because that curiosity enables you to be inquisitive with somebody and to socialize with them and to learn about them. And that's all I'm talking about. Mm. Talk to me about introverts. So there's a section in the book called The Introvert's Edge. Now, in the 11 Laws of Likeability, I had a section called Good News for the Introverts. And I always take a little bit of an angle there because I think introverts don't give themselves enough credit. And Matthew Pollard has a podcast called The Introvert's Edge. And so the section of the book I actually titled after his podcast and he contributed to the section. And he's an introvert and there was Jamie Masters was another introvert who contributed to that section. Introverts are some of the best connectors out there. They're the best in my opinion. <laughs> because they have a natural skill set around it. They are naturally way better listeners than extroverts. Mm-hmm. They are much more comfortable in the one-on-one and that's where real connection forms. Yep. So I do think introverts have an edge They just have to accept that they approach social and curious a little different. Yeah. And it works. I agree with you 100%. But they're just more thoughtful too. So and getting back to your follow-up or follow-through on things typically do better. So I would agree with you in one definition of the word thoughtful. I mean, if we think of thoughtful of doing something nice, I don't think introversion or extroversion has an influence on that. I think we are all thoughtful people and it's not about their energy source. But when it comes to being thoughtful in how they think and how they communicate and what they say. Absolutely. Introverts tend to think before they speak. Mm -hmm. They process the information, they take it in, and they are thoughtful with what they say. And I would agree with that completely. Yeah. Next one. (laughs) You're just going to keep saying next one. You're so much. I'm trying to fit it in. (laughs) Yeah. I'd like to get them out and then maybe we can go back to each one and how they interact. And I'd like to know about how can people get better at each one of these seven what do you call them? Laws? Mindsets. 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 I'm sorry. Yeah. And actually, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Do you have to be in a certain mindset to get into these mindsets? That's interesting. I mean, the first mindset's open and accepting. Yeah. And I think that's all you need is to have a desire to... Chapter one is going to tell you why this matters. Chapter one is the proof concept of the statistics that I share about getting jobs, getting promotions, getting referrals, getting business, closing the deal, your health, your happiness. All of it is in there to say, oh, well, if I find that little thing in there, well, that's what I'm working on, or that's what I want, this is going to help me get there. Let me have an open mind to this. (laughs) So is that the quantum leap mindset, that first one? Meaning like, I always say that, again, because I'm with you on mindset, you know, the the quantum leap being the hardest, but just like a rocket ship, it's 70 to 80% of the fuels used on that, on the launch. launch. I never really thought of it that way. I think they're nonlinear. I think that they play off of each other. I think that you might tap more into one than another, depending on the situation. I might feel a little more closed off in certain situations, but doesn't mean I'm closed. You just have to have a little bit of open and what you're open to, right? So I don't want to confine anybody that says, oh, well, if I feel, put it this way, closed was something I used to feel really good about (laughs) (laughs) until someone said to me, it wasn't working for me. And I was like, no, no, yes, it is. Closed is good. Closed protects me. I'm good with closed. Me, right? Yeah. Shocking, yeah. When right? was that? I mean, yeah, when was this? About 13, 14 years ago. Relatively recent. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So then what got you to open? I don't know. No. <laughs> yeah. I think having somebody say that and having me think about why they might be right. So you knew you were closed. Oh, yes. You did. Okay. That was, I like was conscious. Very, that was very conscious. comfortable okay. with it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> wow. And not closed minded. Yeah. But protective. I was a little closed off. I wasn't Mm self-disclosing. I was very close to the vest. Those types of ways of being closed. How did that serve you? It felt safe. By being more open, what has that done for you now? It brought me joy. I mean, you said that, and I honestly have never been asked that question. And in the moment that you asked the question, I felt, I just felt that. I felt that release. I felt that exhale. I felt that weight lifted. I felt that restriction gone because I was holding myself so tight. Mm. that I could relax. And by relaxing, what has that done for you? Uh, The domino, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So much. I mean, I can't believe all I have now. From where I've come from, Mm -hmm. I can't believe the gratitude I feel for what I have accomplished, what I have been able to offer others, the world, my family. Yeah, I'm beyond... This book, the things that you're talking about is sounds so powerful. What are you hoping that people get from this? What would you recommend if someone, I mean, it definitely applies to everybody, but what would you hope someone does after reading the book and they put it down? What would you? I want them to pick it back up. Okay. (laughs) Well, no, this sounds like a book that isn't just a once and done. 
I was on an interview yesterday and somebody asked me, it was about elegance and what book helps me stay in an elegant mindset or a place of elegance. And I defined elegance for them because it was a title in the, in the podcast. And I said that I kind of am like, would it sound wrong to say my own books? <laughs> <laughs> because the truth is I wrote these books as much for myself as for all of you. I use them as my cornerstone. I use them as my grounding. And so in those moments when maybe I'm not feeling good about how I responded to something or something's not working for me, I kind of say, well, where did I fall off my own path? Hmm. And so I want somebody to have this as their touchstone, right? Their guidepost of if this is kind of how I want to present myself to the world, how I want to interact with people, then it's kind of like touching the crystal, like get my energy from it and go. <laughs> I want it to give people energy. I want it to give people ideas. I want it to find the niche within that person's goals to support those goals, right? Mm -hmm. So it's going to be very different in execution for each person, which one they relate to and which one they struggle with. And for me on a day-to-day -day basis, it might be like, ah, that abundance thing. You know, <laughs> yeah. that one's still really tough for me. And I really have to focus on continuously shifting from a place of scarcity to a mindset of abundance. Interesting. So what do you do? How do you do that? Because I think that's a lot of people. <laughs> I think there's a significant amount of people struggle yeah. with that. Well, the first thing is I acknowledge it. The first thing, and then I talk about this in the book, acknowledge the fear. I say, okay, here's why I'm feeling that way. And here's why it's reasonable. And here's why I'm not I don't beat myself up over it. I'm like, okay, give yourself a minute, mm -hmm. wallow, self-pity, do all those things if you really need to. And then say, okay, well, if it wasn't scarce, how would I look at it? What's the possibility? What would I like it to look like? How could I make that happen? What's one step I could take? What about the people that say, oh man, I've been burned by being open? Yeah, I have. Who has Yeah. And this was hard for me. And I, so kind of going through that open mindset where as I've shared, like closed was comfortable. And sometimes I think maybe I'm being a little naive or gullible or too giving. I don't believe any of that. I know that I have moments where I've had those thoughts, like, am I being smart here? But I would rather live my life like this. Great. There you go. And know from yourself. What I say to people a lot is you can't control anybody else. You can only control what you put out there and how you respond to what is out there. And I say this to my sons. Sometimes when things aren't going well, I'm like, do you feel good about how you acted in this situation? I said, then there's nothing more you can do. And so my goal is I can feel good about how I handled something, even if it didn't go so well. This book seems like a true passion product, not to take anything from your other books, but you seem really just fired up mm. about this. How long did this take? And tell me about the collaboration. How much of it is 100% you? I mean, it's your book, but how much collaboration went into this with other people? You talked about a few already. Yeah, well, I'm glad you feel my passion because the 11 laws like ability. I, I don't think it's, it's possible <laughs> to not. So <laughs> there's nothing on me here. And the connector's advantage are everything I think, believe, teach, do, and want to encourage in others. And I've written a couple other books, and I hope they're helpful to people. But They're good. They're good. <laughs> but these are them. And I actually had the idea for this book before my third book came out. And the third book was called Nail the Interview, Land the Job. And it was because I did a book for veterans. Uh, it's called Heroes Get Hired. It's free for veterans to help them get back into the civilian workplace. And all my kind of mommy friends and my friends who had kids who were graduating, they were like, well, where's our book? Where's a book for my kid? So it was almost my reward to get to write this book if I could get the third book out <laughs> into the market. Reward. It's so interesting to hear yeah. an author say writing another book is a reward. Because this is the one I really wanted to write. Yeah. So I actually looked up recently. I probably had this idea back in 2015. No, even maybe before that, because Nail the Interview Land, the job came out in 2015. So it could have even been... So you were thinking about this maybe before. Maybe it could yeah. have been 2014. But the idea was that I was having lunch with somebody who started a group on LinkedIn called the Connectors Club. And I loved the phrase and the fact that in a way, and the reason we switched the title from the Connectors Club to the Connectors Advantage was that we didn't want that exclusive feel. But in a way, when you are a connector, you are in a club, Yeah. right? You know so-and-so, you know so-and-so. And that's kind of how this book came about. I was talking to one of my mentors and yeah, I was talking about the book and he's like, oh, you should have a millennial perspective. How do millennials connect? And I was like, well, I love that idea. And he connected me to a millennial who, Barry Merrick, who started Ivy.com 
to create a connection post-college mm-hmm. that gives you that same feeling in college. And then I was thinking, I connected to this other person and I was like, oh, they've got a really interesting perspective. And so when you say how much is me and how much is other people, I have have close to 30 experts in the book okay. that contributed their expertise. So Dory Clark from Standout Networking, mm-hmm. she takes an angle in the abundance chapter about how we use our time because time is not in abundance. Mm-hmm. Jordan's in the book. I mentioned him. Susan Rowan, who wrote How to Work a Room. John Corcoran with How to Connect with Influencers. I like so, John. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jared Kleinart, who is a millennial. He's actually Inc.'s uh, most connected millennial. He wrote Two Billion Under 20 and Three Billion Under 30. So he contributed to a section on how millennials connect. And so it was just, it rolled. And this book, in a way, is exactly what I'm teaching, is what happened with the book. That's awesome. I was writing by myself, and all of a sudden, I connect, and they're like, oh, you should connect to this person. Oh, you should connect to the person. Oh, Robbie's got to be in this book. And Very like fitting. three different people told me, Robbie Samuels has got to be in this book. And I was like, okay, connect me. I love Robbie. <laughs> That's great. What were your takeaways from Robbie? Robbie wrote a book called Croissants versus Bagels, and he contributed to the section on how to be an inclusive networker. And so this was a section of the book where I had a black female executive in IT. If that is not a minority, I don't Mm -hmm. know what is. And Robbie, who is a transgender man, and myself, who was a woman in finance, kind of talked about some of the things that we see happening and what we can do. And so he's been quite an inspiration in that section where he talked about calling out the similarities instead of focusing on your differences. Interesting. Yeah. And Viola, who was the head of ITSMF, and she always says, it's my family, is how I remember the acronym. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it's the IT Senior Management Forum. And she would talk about, as a Black woman executive, going on these conferences with her husband being the significant other. And the significant other events were like spa nails. Like, you know, I'll take that spa, yeah. to be honest. You know, but yeah, it was no, very yeah, correct. It was, short-sighted yes. and limiting in thinking about not just who's in the room, but correct. who's not in the room. And it was just a really fascinating perspective. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. Well, all right, next. Next mindset. I don't even know what we were on anymore. Uh, oh, did we, we haven't talked about conscientious. No, not in depth. Okay. No. So the reason I think conscientious <clears throat> is important is because, as I said, connectors do what they say they're going to do. They mm-hmm. follow up and they follow through. And so one of the things I talk about is setting boundaries. Boundaries around like the ask? Boundaries around what you're willing to say yes to. Gotcha. Because connectors, when they say yes, they do it. And then they can tend to like do so much to the detriment of themselves and their family. Correct. That's a great point. Yeah. And my husband took a little, you know, three by five sticky note, purple, and wrote N-O and stuck it on my monitor. (sighs) It lived there until the sticky fell off about Uh a year. I lived there a year and I didn't move it because for me seeing it and seeing it coming in his handwriting gave me permission to say no. It is hard to say no. And what I talk about in this chapter is how to say no and how to say yes so that you can be conscientious. And when you're conscientious, you build trust. Give everyone a, a no tip. Most of the time you can actually say a yes if or a yes and or a yes after or a yes when. And it's a qualified yes. Mm-hmm. There are some times that you are flat out saying no, but is a really great no. Mm -hmm. No, but. No, but I could do that. No, but so-and-so might be interested. No, but I would love to blah, blah, blah. So the no, but can be an easier way to say no. Yeah. And what's the mindset that's going into that no? This is something that I believe in. When you say no to something, you say yes to something else. Yes. Mic drop. (laughs) that's good that's true okay wow tweetable moment yeah (laughs) that's funny what do you think is one of the hardest mindsets you think it's the scarcity mindset or for yourself through all these different mindsets that you covered was there one in particular that you found most challenging or that you'll be most reflecting on i think it the challenge is each individual person's challenge yeah so for me yeah abundance is probably one of the ones that i really have to keep reconnecting to, but for everybody, it's going to be a little bit different. And then are you recommending that everybody that reads this just be familiar with the different mindsets or they should just work on one or two themselves? How are they going to get the most out of this? I believe that you don't choose more than three things at any given time if you don't want your brain to explode. So it's everyone's individual preference. I don't like to mandate how somebody needs to do something. Read the book. It's easy. There's stories, right? If there's an activity that resonates for you, do it. 
do it again, do it again, right? What are some activities? That I'll let them find because that mm, doesn't resonate as well yep. here. Good call. But you've got to put pen to paper for some of these. But there's little activities and mindset missions or what I call them to start to infuse and to start this thinking. So that can start you on that path for that one. But if that one's like, yeah, I got this one, then move on. There's no one way to read this book or to incorporate these philosophies. But the idea is that it's a reference. It's the touchstone. Mm. Feel the energy from the crystal. (laughs) (laughs) What kinds of people do you think need this? I mean, everybody needs this, but who's going to have the hardest time with this? Is it an industry? Is it a type of person? Is it, who are the people that you think are going to have the biggest challenge? I don't want to pigeonhole. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think we all have challenges. Yeah. I don't think people would look at me and be like, oh, that's hard for her. I get drained just like anybody else. Mm -hmm. There are times that I'm just like, I don't want to go in there. (laughs) And I have to find that energy from within. And one of the things I'll say to people is, if you can't find productive energy, and this is actually out of the 11 laws of likability, chapter four there is the law of energy. And if you don't have productive energy in a situation, I might just give you permission to go home. If that energy is not going to serve you, it's not going to be worth pushing yourself. I believe in pushing yourself. I believe in stretching yourself. But I also believe in giving yourself a break. Yeah. You've got to be good to yourself as well. Yeah. What's something that doesn't matter who you are, what your personality is, that you could do to become a better relationship builder, connector, whatever it is that you want to call them? Just stay curious. Curiosity. Curiosity. When you don't know where to start, start by being curious. Ask a question that you actually have interest in, and let the conversation flow. Any examples? What about, this is a question that people have all the time, going to events. What advice would you have for somebody that's going to an event? It depends on... Let's just go a common, let's call it a networking event in the industry that you're in. You're an accountant. (laughs) No, I'm not anymore. I I actually am still a CPA. You keep up your... your, uh, uh, Once you are certified, I'm not an active CPA. Gotcha, okay. My mom calls that a certified pain in the assets... Accounting humor. What I would say is if you're going to one of these events, think in your head about what a successful event is for you. It is not necessarily a number of business cards. I'm like, if that's the goal you want, fine, then that's your goal. For me, it's one. Any event is one. I do this conference for Ernst & Young every year, and they know that every year I'm going to make one strong connection that I'm going to build a relationship with throughout the rest of the year. And so it's been like four years and Sandy's like, I'm yours this year. And Gretchen's like, I was your first, you know? It's funny. It's true. Um, And so for me at one of those things, it's one, one relationship that I really want to grow, build and develop. And if I get more than one, great, but I'm feeling really good if there's one. It's great. Do you have a set go-to conversation starter? No. (laughs) What about an ender? No, no. but one of the things I do in a keynote is really fun. I just did this in Washington state. I had a group of technology people and I broke up half the room and I said, I want you guys to think of conversation starters. And I want you guys to think of conversation closers. Which do you think was harder? Closer. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The best starter that they had, this is a tech group, mind you, Android or iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, That's very Isn't that a very fitting. conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. starter? Of course. I loved it. Um, And so they got really fun and creative with it. And so you don't want to go to, you'll be bored of it. You want to think about, and one of the things I do in my first book, The 11 Most Likeability, um, in the curiosity chapter is I give you all of these different ways to think about an opening question, whether it's about the environment, whether it's about the news, whether it's about the weather, whether it's about a hypothetical, there's a lot of ways to think about it, but you need to be inspired by that question. So I never have a trite one. And I also give you a lot of ideas for how to close it because you want to make sure that you've got a strong mood memory. So in chapter eight, we talk about those closers. Yeah, that's a great point, by the way, the mood memory. Do you mind elaborating on that for people that aren't familiar with what that is and why that's so important? We'll get both these books out for you. Yeah. So mood memory is the idea that people will remember more how you make them feel than anything that you say. So true. And I've had that, I don't know if I should, the shit eating grin. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's like walking down the street and you're like, oh my God, I must look so stupid. But like, you just feel good. Something just made you feel happy. That's mood memory. Yeah. That's why I think the close is more important. I really do think that that walk away is more important because everyone can be a little awkward at first or if you're not familiar, but once that eases into your point about how you make somebody feel so important. For those who want access to this, when does this live? The Connector's Advantage is launching on March 5th. So here's what I'll say. If you are on my newsletter on March 5th, I am giving the Kindle away for free. 
So um, one day only, the next day on the 6th, I think it's 99 cents and so on until it gets up to full price. You know me, I give away lots of things. I know they'll be in the show notes, but just go to my website. It's the easiest link to everything. Michelle with two L's, Tillis, T-I-L-L-I-S, Letterman, L-E-D-E-R-M-A-N.com. And from there, if you can get my LinkedIn, you can get my YouTube. I do the success shorties. We can't stand up because I'll be in frame, but he won't. (laughs) So that's a I like those. I think those are great. Yeah, they're like 40, 60 second videos of tips. You can get to my blog. You can get to slash gift pack is all the giveaways. But if you join my newsletter, you get all the giveaways. You don't even have to go to that page. How are you able to produce so much content? It took a long time. I've been doing a weekly blog consistently for about three plus years now. But it took, you know, I've been in business for a lot longer than that. And for a while, it was like once a month. And now I have more content than I know what to do with because I get questions. I invite people sending me questions and then I have a backlog of videos or ideas that I want to get out there. And then I'm on shows like this that I want to promote or share the lesson that came up for me or a story. So I use my newsletter and my blog kind of interchangeably. And then the shorty videos, they're all on my YouTube, but they at one point were probably in a blog. So, so you've you know, turned them, you're using getting a lot out of that you, content. You, a lot of the messages are evergreen. Yeah, they are. It's great. Well, I, I really appreciate you coming down. I know that you've got a lot going on with all these different shows. This has been fun as always. I think you're fantastic. There's so many good things about you. I'm surprised to hear that you weren't. Well, were you always an, an extrovert? Yeah. Yeah. You weren't. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so you've always been talkative, yeah. but you just didn't necessarily share as much. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Inter- now, is that normal? Do you think that's a normal for people or are people overcoming? And I don't want to mean to Now I probably share too much. No, right. <laughs> now I might be a little bit, I've gone too far and right. I'm a little TMI. Okay. <laughs> I like too much information. Yeah. But you got to find your right spot. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a network wise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to networkwise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise.